Hello, dear listeners. Joachim and I have some great news for you as we have a very special guest today. We have Alexander Moore, Associate Executive and Chair of the European Secretary General Network. Welcome, Alexander. Hi, everybody, and thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome from my side as well. Um, so today we're going to talk about network building and building networks, not in the technology sense, but in terms of building actual relations. Um, so let me start by asking you, what is a network and are there different forms of networks? You start with a very difficult question. Uh, yeah, of course, there are different networks, right? And and I think that the, the easiest way to approach networks is that you that you differentiate between professional networks and the more, let's say, private private networks. Um, we are here in Brussels, as you know, and there are a lot of established um, professional networks, especially when it comes to associations. Um, and they are also very often offer, for example, um, trainings or uh, workshops, seminars, and over recent months, of course, a lot of webinars and all these kind of stuff. And then you have the more private networks. And I guess today you, you invited me as the chair of the European Secretary General Network. And this is a very, um, not very private, but it's a private circle of association executives here in Brussels um, that meets on a regular basis. And this is more for, let's say, a, um, a more personal, a softer exchange, uh, a more background information, and not so much about um, yeah, trainings, for example, or stuff like that. Alexander, you had mentioned uh, a little bit about uh, the European Secretary General Network, so the ESGN. Could you give us a bit more details about? So the ESGN is indeed it's a it's a it's a private circle of executive directors, managing directors, and secretary generals of European mostly trade associations, which are based here in Brussels. Um, so the network consists at the moment of, let's say, uh, around plus minus 150 secretary generals. And all of those are running trade associations in Brussels and are the head of those, of those associations. And as in, in Brussels, an association can range from having 20, 30, 40 people in your, in your, uh, office to one man shops. So it is, it is a very, uh, broad spectrum. Um, I am, you called me the chair, so we do not have a formal structure. So yes, uh, I'm the chair because I've kind of, uh, I kind of, uh, it's my baby, but um, we are not having any formal uh, structure for it. We are not uh, a registered legal entity. It's a, it's a network in its purest sense. It's a network of peers who are um, trying to connect and exchange on very often on very simple office-related matters, very often on organizational matters. And you can you can imagine the last month have been, of course, for the associations and their meeting culture has been extremely difficult. And here it is really nice to exchange with your peers, to talk a little bit about how they organize certain things. Um, and that is has been seen as an increased, let's say, value because... You have to understand that a secretary general or an, an association executive, their reporting line is normally it's towards their president and board. And they cannot always ask their board about, let's say, day-to-day -day issues they might facing in their office. That's maybe fine at the beginning, but normally it's, it's uh, expected from you as, a, as an executive 
to run the office in, a, in an efficient and, and transparent way. And then it's really helpful if you can sometimes exchange with your peers how they have done certain things and all this in a very, in a very private matter um, where you can also be very direct with your questions and you very often receive then very tailored answers to the questions you might have. So what it is, a very personal, it's a private circle of sections here in Brussels and it exists since, uh, I would say, 2012, 2013 and uh, has grown since then and, and I think is, a great, is, is of great benefit. Oh, interesting. Sorry, <laughs> just very quickly before uh, you ask him uh, the next question, I just wanted to mention as well that, yes, as you said, Alexander, yes, 40, 40 different staff members per association in some cases, one staff member in other cases. There are also the cases where there's one staff member and three associations. <laughs> Sometimes if they're um, built on especially ad hoc uh, issues or uh, more minor issues. But sorry, I didn't want to take away. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to ask him. So, if I understood that correctly, that uh, you you created the European Secretary General Network, um, and when you did create it, what did you want to achieve at the time? And and also, what what would you describe as the biggest benefit for its members? Okay, I, I think um, when I created it, I didn't really create it. What happened was I went with some colleagues, which were also managing directors or secretary generals, uh, for a beer in the evening and then we invited some more people uh, to to come and have an after work beer and suddenly this group consisted of 20 25 people and this is when i thought maybe maybe we can do something with that and and maybe find a way to actually properly invite to this um, meet at a at a good location where there's also the possibility to exchange in a in a, in, a, in a proper way and so it grew out of something that was never, never really, it, it was never the plan to have a proper uh, uh, network. It was more an idea of having an after work drink. And, and I think this is the very best, the very best uh, start for a network because it, it shows there was a demand without creating a demand for something, but rather something that, that was uh, coming from within. Um, for the benefits, that's a difficult question. The, at the beginning, the benefits were very clearly, very selfishly, that I wanted to have views, opinions by other, maybe more experienced secretary generals um, about certain things, how they did something, how they organized something, how they approached a problem, how they communicate internally via their board members, but also externally. So at the beginning, for me, this was a fantastic place to listen and learn and to exchange and also um, to not feel alone with some of the problems you are faced as an association executive. Association executives have to strike a, a very fine balance between being diplomatic, at the same time being very clear, communicating internally as much as externally um, in a very consistent way, 
Um, and at the same time, you are for very, very, and very often you are very alone in your position as you as you are expected to to fill that role um, without without constantly um, going back to your board because they also, quite frankly, have something else to do. So it is a it is a it is a very um, for me, it's a it's a fascinating role to be an association executive, but it was very helpful to exchange with others on this. So the initial reasons to come back to your question was absolutely to to exchange and and to get information I would not get otherwise, and which I also did not want necessarily to be uh, openly asked in a big forum <laughs> um, to a lot of people. So it was just a, a very personal approach to a network. And uh, I see here that the benefits are, are, are mutual, both for your members and, and for yourself, because your network keeps growing. And one one aspect that I just want to highlight, having had the chance to, to be part of it, is that it's purely for executives. So it gives a much more discreet and much more um, open platform in well, within closed doors to be open about various issues and uh, various perspectives, correct? That, that's absolutely correct. So the, the whole idea was that we that these invitations are not transferable, to say it this way. That means we only focus on secretary generals, managing director, executive directors in their positions, um, and in, it's by invitation only or by recommendation by another sec gen. So it's a very it keeps automatically the network in a let's say in a in a kind of private private uh, space, and I think it's one of the biggest advantages of the network that you know you only talk to peers you can talk about human resources issues for example you can you can be very frank with your questions because all of those peers have more or less experienced the same problems or questions and found different answers to them when when i started i think one of the most uh, interesting learning for me was that there are different approaches to problems. You can have one executive director who handles an issue completely different to another one, and still they're both achieving what they want to achieve with their approaches. So for me, that was the, the most um, important and most beneficial part of the, of the section network. <laughs> Interesting. So... Uh... Let me let us move to another form of network, something more focused on when you're looking to have an impact rather than that of information exchange between peers, as you've been discussing or we've been discussing the ESG yeah. Um Running an association in Brussels is usually based on public affairs activities as well as internal communication. But in other words, uh, we are. I want to focus more on on the e lobbying the EU institutions in this case, as yeah. you know, you and I are both. Lobbyist Alexander, we understand the importance of constructing a strategic network so that we can have the most effective impact on the decision-making processes. But also, you know, to keep up to date on political dynamics, legis legislative procedures, and so on and so forth. So my question to you is, what would be the three most important elements of a, can we call it, high-impact network? So to have a high impact on the decision-making process. Okay, you're asking a lot of different uh, and very difficult questions. Um, let's, <laughs> didn't, let didn't me go to back to. Make it easy to, for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let me let me go back. I think first of all, you have to be very clear um, if if the network is a professional network or if it's a private network. 
or if it's a network within your own organization. If it's a network within your own your organization, in my case, it's a trade association, you have to have a network to conduct your business. You have to have the member state representatives, you have to have the commission, you have to have the members of parliament, uh, stakeholders, and so forth. The problem about all networks that you are creating is that you have to you have to make sure that everybody always has more or less the same information. So especially when you have an internal network for your trade association, all your members, your national associations, all have to have the same level of information to understand in which direction or why you want to do certain things. The second problem is, and I think this is totally underrated, is um, it has to be up to date. So look at the European Parliament. The At the last election, 2019, 60% of new MEPs. In the Commission, you have a constant change and rotating system of, of the decision makers or, or the policy makers. And then on the member states, it's even worse. There you have normally a kind of, uh, let's say, rotating of four to five years. That means you have to constantly reinvest into your, into your networks and you have to keep them up to date. And this costs a lot of time, which means... Once you establish a network, it's far from over. It's actually just starting to keep things up to date, which takes a lot, a lot of energy and, and organization. It should not be underrated. The same goes, by the way, also for, for private or personal networks. To keep them accurate and to keep them growing is a, um, is, is a very difficult task. So the one is the professional network um, where you have to make sure that things are, are always um, up to date. Um, to activate those networks, I, I'm, uh, I have a little bit of difficulties with the term activate those networks. I think normally it is if you have a partner approach towards your um, policymakers, a long-term partnership approach where you, where you establish over the long run a good relationship and a trustful relationship, you normally have also the possibilities to to maybe ask on a more informal level about some developments um, and that works well. If I, if I want to double check certain things I do, then the networks of course come extremely handy. So there's a soft element in those networks and there's a more direct and straightforward um, result-driven uh, approach. I would, both of those elements are as important. The soft element to have more background information, to check with your peers how they're doing certain things, how they see a development. Sometimes they have more information or more insights. And then there's, of course, the professional one where you have to then get um, a certain issue you have um, to be sorted out in the long run. Again, this costs a lot of time, a lot of investment. And here I cannot highlight the partner approach um, uh, high enough, it is the most important element when it comes to networks and when you want to activate your networks. Um, on that note, um, do you have a concrete example or two that you could share with our listeners of how, how a network has, have, has helped you achieve a high impact? Um, I think uh, th there, there are two elements. What helped me a lot was to achieve um, to achieve internal decision-making processes is much easier by having networks in place that work. What I mean by this is in, in a former position I was in for also as an executive of a trade association, there was a huge policy package. And what, what, 
was extremely, it was a very diverse with a lot of different stakeholders being involved in that policy development. And, and here it was indeed possible to talk on an informal level with also with competing associations um, and, and to see and, and try to find common, common, a common level, also a common language um, to, to bring some of the issues forward. Because very often, but that's just as a side note, you have a problem on, on the definition and the terminology on certain issues. And if you can already help sorting that out, this, is, this was a direct result out of networks that helped a lot to to clear the air a little bit and to move on with the proposal. Um, so it is um, it is maybe less direct than uh, it looks on the first side, but the impacts are very real. Just to add, I mean, um, we've had, as well as, as, as heading an association, one thing that has been extraordinarily lucrative has been using the membership itself who are mostly active at the national level in many cases. So, as you know, the, the main triangle of decision-making processes at the EU level are the Parliament, Council and Commission. And Council is obviously dependent on what the home government says. So if you activate or if you coordinate with your membership, they're able to have an impact at that level, which in, in uh, then feeds into the EU decision-making process overall. No, absolutely. I think um, it depends a little bit, of course. I think you're alluding a little bit to the to the lobbying or advocacy work of trade associations. Yes. And here, here you are absolutely right. Um, if you have national associations as one of your members, and if they have good contacts to their policymakers at home, then, of course, this is a classical example how you are, first of all, informing. I mentioned earlier that everybody has the same information level and understands the, the direction in which certain things go. And the second thing is if you have the structures in place to activate them. And here national associations are the prime example, of course, to then go to their ministries uh, with the same information and then also make the case for the national association for the for the national ministries to then feed this back into the decision making process on the EU level then of course this is the prime example of how um, networks on trade association level um, should work in an ideal world it's not always like this but in an ideal world this is exactly how it should work to shift shift things a bit um the elephant in the in the room obviously in 2020 was corona so i'm afraid there's no way around that topic in this conversation yeah, yeah. um just a quick question how has the pandemic impacted network development yeah i mean we are talking about networks and here as uh, for the european secretary general network of course that's a problem so networks in my in my belief or in my experience work on a personal level we are we are working in a people's business okay the direct contact the direct exchange um, is of absolute essence when it comes to networks in my belief i'm pretty sure there are other examples but i i think that's important the the esgn normally has two to three meetings a year and these are the main um the main elements of the network. They are properly prepared, invited, uh, save the dates, and so forth. So these, this is taken very serious, and, and we have normally have a very high rate of people attending those, those informal gatherings. Um, 
if this element is missing, you are running into a problem. I think with Corona, a lot of things are possible in the interim. Yes, you can maybe have a, a webinar, uh, but we are talking here about 150 people. So it's a little bit tricky. Um, you, you can, of course, exchange. You can use this distribution invitation list also as a platform to exchange on, on questions and information. And, and, information people need and that works pretty well i have to say so we also shifted a little bit into this into this field but for me personally the personal meetings are the main element um, you can ask certain questions in a private in a private forum much easier than than writing an email which might be distributed to more people it has a more yeah, it's it's a more of a of a private element, a soft element, which I think is very important, especially for for informal networks. Um, so we are sailing through this crisis. I think, like most people, for 2021, I definitely am planning to have the physical meetings again. We had to cancel two meetings in March and September this year. Uh, not fantastic, but there was no other way around it. And I really hope that by March uh, we can invite and can meet uh, with our peers and exchange. I, I miss this element, um, but I think I'm not alone with this problem. Most most uh, people who work in this, in this industry, in this associations world, are facing exactly the same problems and have bigger problems than that with their board meetings and their general assemblies than me having that with the network. But nonetheless, it's an element that's missing, but I'm positive that in 2021 we will be back to a normal routine, hopefully. If I can reflect that, uh, and I hope so for you as well, that it will be back in 2021 because it is a very valuable network. But if I may reflect the, the type of network or various other types of network with the, with the effect, for example, if we're talking about uh, engaging in uh, having an impact on the decision-making process, so the, the professional network, um, I've come across uh, a lot more willingness by the let's say, the decision makers to speak and to engage because there is no need to travel somewhere, there's no need to meet officially and so on and so forth. So picking up the phone can be a lot a lot easier, of course, depending on, on, on the level of, of the official. On the other hand, uh, when it comes to networking within a fixed entity, such as maybe a multilateral platform, or if we're looking at a political party in the parliament, there is a lot less side diplomacy going on. So people running up down the corridors or meeting in the corridors and just uh, making decisions there, that has decreased drastically. Of course, uh, many cases have been taken over by, by technological means, but the ad hoc capacity to interact and talk and negotiate, and rather than going back and forth, as has to be done with technological means to get approval and so on and so forth, this element has died down unfortunately a lot and i hope this will be reinvigorated as well in 2021 because essentially that's where most of the decisions from my experience are actually taken no i i'm i'm fully with you um it it has changed a lot in recent months you also know that the european parliament for example does not allow external visitors at the moment including including uh, people interest representation so of course, this has an impact on the way we work. I still believe that policymakers are still need are still in need of certain information, and there is and there is always room to to discuss certain elements and certain impacts. But 
Um, it has changed a little bit. I'm not so sure that the policymakers themselves are so happy with, with the situation as it is at the moment. They might have a little bit more time on certain things. On the other hand, they are also overwhelmed by the sheer amount of, you know, webinars and video conferences and, and all these things, which can be a little bit, how to say, overburdened sometimes. But yes, I agree with you. Decision-making, information exchange has changed a little bit. Um, and this is not necessarily for the better because it just shows very clearly that communication is not only having a video screen in front of you, communication is a little bit more. Um, you are, of course, also much more willing to, um, how to say, to explain to policymakers more things in the context without being less always straight to the point and, and reducing complex messages to um, three or four sentences. So I, I think it's... Again, it's an interim situation. I think most people have adopted pretty well. Is it in the long run even a better way? As like some people are suggesting, I have great, great doubts. I do not think this is beneficial for anybody. But um, certain elements for sure will, will maybe play a bigger role. And video conferences are, are some of them. But yes, decision making will slow down. Um, uh, at the moment, we have we have problems in in explaining complex issues. Um, the, the, these are these are elements well where we have to then adjust. But I hope there will be room and time again to put put information and the exchange with policymakers in a in a little bit bigger context in a little bit more long run uh, long term developments. Uh, I, I miss this element a little bit at the moment. A network is also a very susceptible entity, if one can call it that. Um, and the question of reputation is very determining. Um, this can include anything from lying, hidden agendas, to certain behavior at an event. Um, what other elements other than corona and reputation affect the network? So I'm. that's, again, a very difficult question, so I'll try my very best to Sorry. answer this. <laughs> I think... I think, well, you used a key word, and, and that is reputation. And then you used the other words, lying, hidden agendas. Um, I, my, my first immediate reaction to that is, yes, you can have lying or hidden agendas, or you, you behave in a certain way at an event. You can do this once, maybe twice, but then you are might not be able to secure other meetings and discuss certain elements of your agenda with people. My experience over now, what, 15, 20 years in Brussels is you need to have a partner approach towards the European institutions. That means no ad hoc, short-term lobbying. I know in other regions of the world, this is, might be seen different. Um, here in Brussels, my experience is be reliable, have solid and good information. Also say where you might not have good information, be transparent in who you are and who you represent and um, do not shy away also to be self-critical about certain elements, but also to, to ask um, about certain elements. That, that would be my first natural re reaction to it. Um, corona, of course, if you do not have such a partner approach and network in place that is reliable and that is that is um, driven by reputation, and you are now trying to get into the game by a, by a certain um, how to say short-term lobbying objective, I think you you have difficulties 
um, to be heard and also to make your your points clear. So again, I think this this crisis shows there is actually no other way than to be in the game in the long run and to have a partner approach. Um, this goes for associations as it goes for consultancies, I think, because um, consultancies may become with one topic today and with a different topic tomorrow, but having to deal with the same policymakers, if you are burning yourself on one, on, on one of those dossiers, um, you are less likely to be hurt for the second one. I think this is an element that is very often not entirely understood um, and can cause a lot of frustrations um, on both sides. So again, I think to sum up your difficult question, I would say a partner approach is the only way forward when dealing with the EU institutions. Um, and also, by the way, when you're dealing with your with your clients uh, or your, your members, I think transparency in the communication, clear communication, clear timelines are the only way to handle complex dossiers in the long run. Um, well, I, I fully agree about the challenge as well. I mean, uh, your answer completely, I, I agree, but especially the point that you mentioned for consultancies, it is a challenge um, to create that balance, especially if you have a long-term network established and you have certain, let's say, certain clients that come and say, I just want to have a short-term impact on that one piece of legislation and that one wording. So uh, I, it, there is need to keep a very careful balance in, in that sense to, to make sure that you don't burn your network, uh, but at the same time furnish the services that your clients need. Yeah. All right. So here's my final question. What are your favorite tips, tricks, and techniques you would like to share with us if, if one would set out to build a network in Brussels? Um, I... In my personal experience, a network is not the people you're living with and you are having a coffee in the morning in the kitchen. I think a network is should be something that is slightly broader, um, that is covering several sectors and is driven by, um, let's say, um, interest of the people. I give you I give you an example. If you if you are able to establish a network where people see the value by exchanging and also having fun um, then you are on a very good on a very good track I wouldn't make it too narrow make a start start small and then grow from there and have a lot of fun uh, while doing it I wouldn't take it too serious and too objective driven it should always have a very an element a socializing element in it where people like to come together and to discuss with their peers and and not making it too formal and too heavy and not having a, a kind of agenda or another speaker coming do it on a fun basis and you will achieve much more in the long run than you do it another little event with a speaker and and uh, a very heavy organizational involved have fun well that's a really good basis i like that and i've had fun at your network gatherings as you know so thank you very much for having built the esgn it is unfortunately that time again though to wrap up the discussion to sum up, I want to really say I enjoyed making this podcast, whereby we essentially went to the various elements to understand the power of networks in Brussels. Indeed, also by going through a plethora of different networks from personal to professional, from internal information exchange to external impact on decision making as a purpose. 
there's a lot of material that could still be covered, as you know. So maybe another podcast in the future might be a good idea. The fact that it is the longest podcast, I've just realized, uh, we have made until now says it all, really. So, dear listeners, turning back to you, if you have any questions or suggestions for upcoming global themes you'd like us to touch upon, or indeed if you have any questions or comments on what we have discussed today, do, as always, write us to info at timeandplaceconsulting.com. Dear listeners, thank you again for tuning in. Alexander, thanks for being on board. It was really insightful. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Thanks a lot to both of you. Um, it's goodbye from me. And thank you and goodbye from me as well. And stay safe and stay tuned. Thank you.